Katerina, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Sam. Tired, but I'm here. Uh, well, what a really exciting episode this is going to be because we have uh, joining us today, Daniel Sandler. Dan, are you there? I am, certainly. Hello, you guys. Hi, Daniel. So we all met up um, a couple of weeks ago. Daniel is the, is the head of his own brand and uh, has been in the industry for many, many years. So, Daniel, could you introduce uh, yourself and tell us a bit about your, your journey into the industry? Of course. I mean, it started off when I was very young because my father was a hairdresser, a very successful one, back in the 60s and 70s. And he had quite a few hair salons in London. And as a child, I used to go there on Saturday mornings and during school holidays and I'd wash hair, um, answer the phone, take bookings, work on reception. And that was right up to my teens. So I was involved in beauty, if you like, from a very young age, watching the transformation of, of ladies and actresses and all sorts of people come into my dad's salon looking rather ordinary and leaving looking completely glamorous and they all felt fantastic about themselves. So, and I used to watch my father do hair for photo shoots, fashion shows, and he used to work with the likes of Terence Donovan. So from this very young age, I was exposed, if you like, to um, fashion on the runway and to magazine work, which then got me very excited about the fashion and beauty industry that when I turned 13 and 14 and the new romantics were all around. I just wanted to do my hair crazily and I wanted to put makeup on and I wanted to look really trendy and, and fantastic because I was just this very ordinary, ginger, spotty, freckly kid that was almost, that was almost invisible. But um, being a new romantic meant that I could create myself to be something interesting that people wanted to look at and talk to. Um, and, that, and that sort of fueled my love for following more the makeup direction than the hair that my father was a bit disappointed with because I think he felt that I could take on his salons and things. But no, I love, I love doing makeup from a very early age and I used to pop it on my mum and all my friends and, uh, and then it became my career. So how did that go, Daniel, from that? How did you first make your way into the industry? Well, my dad was very good friends with um, Videl Sassoon and um, my dad also knew Mary Quant. So Mary Quant very kindly gave me a whole load of makeup uh, to get me started. And at the same time, I was just about to start at the London College of Fashion doing a makeup course because I, I knew absolutely nothing about makeup. There were very few products around back in the 80s. I mean, there was nothing like Mac around. We just had a few British brands. Um, and I'd or, or I'd kind of go off to Boots the Chemist and I'd buy a concealer or a bit of a lipstick, but re be really embarrassed saying that they're for my mum. But with all this makeup that I had and the training, I just met the most interesting people. And we lived on Sloan Street, right by Sloan Square, which was amazing because I could go down the King's Road after school on a Saturday afternoon, see all the beautiful, crazy, weird looking punks and the trendy people. And of course, you'd meet photographers, you'd meet models, you'd meet more hairdressers, you'd meet fashion stylists. So I was kind of getting involved in a world where I could do what I loved. And when you get on with people, they're very happy to give you the opportunity because you're young and you're enthusiastic and you kind of fit in and all this kind of thing. So I was given the opportunity to do hair shows for Riddell Sassoon, Tony and Guy, 
and a few other top salons that really helped me practice my craft, even though I was still really young and really didn't know much. But the London College of Fashion gave me the training I needed so that I felt more confident and I got more of the desired results that I really wanted to. How did you get onto the course, Daniel, and what was it called? The course was, well, you just I, you just sort of signed up for it, and uh, it, was, it was called, I don't know if they still do it, it's called the Daytech Hired National Diploma in Theatrical Studies, which was theatrical makeup and hair, modern hair and modern makeup. Um, and I got onto it just by having an interview and doing a little bit of a practical exam as well, showing them my art portfolio, um, and that that was it really. That's um, but the, the but again, talking thirty years ago, makeup courses then aren't what they're like now. Their idea of teaching you fashion makeup, of course, was makeup from the fifties and sixties, possibly the seventies, because the teachers were ex BBC um, head makeup artists, you know. So. You, their idea of fashion was what they did 10, 15 years ago, you know, prior to the 80s. So it was it was those wonderfully old school techniques, which are obviously completely relevant today, but just the products that we had then was the old Max Factor pan sticks and the old Leishner grease sticks and things like that. So you had to be quite creative and clever with how you mixed and blended and did things so you got the results you wanted. I really wished I knew about it when, when I was, uh, you know, about to uh, uh, start college and uni because it sounds like such an amazing place, you know. And you, and you know what, for me, it was fantastic because it was 95% women. I'd come from an all-boys school where it was quite dull and boring, actually, and it was very academic and it, or it was very sporty. And I was really arty-farty and I just really didn't like school and I don't think school really liked me. So going to college where you didn't have to wear a school uniform and I could do finger waves and pink curls and big bouffant hair and wear loads of makeup if I wanted into college and put makeup on people and it was just like I suddenly came out of my cocoon, if you like, and it was the best thing ever. And I, and I started having really great fun. So you're out of there and you're, you're walking around, you're doing sort of free shows, et cetera, just to get a foot in the door. And, 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 and how, did you, how did you get from there uh, all the way up to thinking about and starting your own brand? It's, that, was, that was a journey that I will praise because obviously that was nearly 20-something years in the making. But... Apart from the networking that you have to do, you have to obviously build a portfolio and really sell yourself to more editors, more photographers who will hopefully give you the opportunity to work on their shoots for magazines or work with celebrities. And you build up your reputation. And then once your portfolio is looking strong enough, you approach an agent, which is what I did. So I had an agent that, that got me work here in the UK and I ended up working in New York and Paris and Milan as well over sort of a 15 year period, doing all the nice things, you know, doing the really lovely, glamorous, glossy shoots and working on beaches in Miami or in South Africa, doing mail order catalogue. Uh, because, of course, it's, it's not just the glossies, you know, glossies never really paid, but it was the that was the prestige to do those you've got to do the hard grafting jobs you know i had to do littlewood's catalog freeman's catalog 
Uh, they weren't boring jobs, but they weren't jobs that you'd be particularly proud of, but they paid, paid the bills, you know. But I knew I wanted to get more into the beauty industry. So I kind of really targeted a lot of beauty photographers. And then after about 10 years of working in the industry, I started going on a TV show. You might remember this, Sam, because you've got a bit of a TV background. Uh, Katerina, you might not know this because you were probably in Sweden at the time, but there was a BBC makeover show called Style Challenge, which was in the morning. And what they used to do is they'd take members of the public and we'd give them a makeover. And at the end of the show, a, a mirror would swing around and there'd be this big reveal and whoever we would make up would go, oh my God, isn't that amazing, blah, blah, blah. Well, being on TV on that show for about five years then led me to um, being sort of headhunted by the French makeup brand Bourgeois, who needed a British spokesperson. And I jumped at the chance because Bourgeois is such an amazing brand. I became the voice of Bourgeois. And what my job there was, was to explain and give professional advice and tips to journalists so that they'd be able to write their articles, include the Bourgeois latest products for the season. My name would be there saying, Daniel Sandler says, pop your blusher here, or to give yourself more definition, put your contour there using this Bourgeois product. So I created a really good and fantastic relationship with lots of journalists and this, we are talking 20 years ago now, when very few makeup artists were known, like we know today. You know, uh, magazines really, the journalists really wrote themselves about the products, but the bourgeois PR, Leslie Chivers, um, thought it'd be great to bring me on board. So, and in fact, it was Leslie who then said to me after five years of being with bourgeois, why don't you bring out your own products, Daniel? You know, Bobby Brown's got her own products, blah, blah, blah. Nas has got his own line. She said, you know, the press would really love you and they know you already. So why don't you? Bring... And I thought, no, there's, I don't know what I could bring out that's different to the market because there is absolutely everything out there. There was foundations of most skin tones then of all different prices. There were so many different products. I thought, what on earth could I bring out that would make my brand different? And then I sort of had this eureka moment that working as I did as a makeup artist, I'd often mix products together on the back of my hand or on my brush to create a certain look and a certain finish. And I thought, well, instead of mixing three products to get one re really great product, why don't I just work on that one product by mixing those three things together? So I approached Krylan in Berlin and Together, we created my watercolour liquid blusher, which I'm most famous for, which is the most loveliest blusher in the world. I would say that, wouldn't I? And that's kind of how I got into making a line, because it just reflected what I was doing as the artist, what had worked for me in my kit. And that was my unique point of difference. It's so interesting now how, how you started working 20 years ago and how people who want to get into the industry now What's your view on the traditional printed media and now how young people uh, who, who are interested in, in, in makeup and be becoming a makeup artist, how they get their first uh, sort of foothold and, and, and make their way into the industry? It, it's, do you know, there's, nowadays there's so many different ways of being a successful makeup artist. And of course, you can become incredibly successful just by having an Instagram account and doing incredible makeup. 
um, because you'll get the followers. And once you've got the followers, that makes people interested in sponsoring you. Um, so, so that's one way. But And to get into print, print is different, of course, because print is very much, you've got to be in with a certain crowd. You've got to be in, in with that fashion crowd. And you have to virtually have no life. You've got to work in Paris and Milan and New York. And you've got to be absolutely focused on where you want to go if you want to work with Mario Testino or Nick Knight or any of the latest, you know, not the latest, but if you want to work with any of the fashion, true fashion photographers who are in the best, you've absolutely got to focus on that and, and make sure that that happens for you. And it's a rather, that set is rather a cool set. They're the uber cool set. Um, so So it's more difficult, but you've just got to stay focused know the direction that you want to go in and meet the people who will help get you where you need to be. I remember when I used to go to um, various makeup colleges and do talks and things to young aspiring students who'd say to me, you know, I want to be a fashion makeup artist. And I'd say, well, name me three or four British or American fashion photographers. And they wouldn't be able to do that. And I said, you've really got to do your homework there's no point saying you want to be a fashion makeup artist if you don't really have an understanding, if you're not completely passionate about who's already involved in that industry. You, you just won't get the chance because, you know, it'll, it'll just never happen. So um, I, for, for me, I had a few lucky breaks, but then you've got to be able to keep delivering on that level. And, and uh, you know what? Luck in any business has so much to do with it. Stay focused, but hope you get a whole load of luck at the same time. But it's it's so interesting what you say this because you know you look at the beauty industry and and you see this this glamorous um, models and this this glamorous lifestyle. But I I know this from talking to other people and I mean talking to you as well and your story. It's like it's such hard work behind the scenes. It's like um, you really have to give it your 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 best. And and as you say, you know you can't just go there and and kind of just because you have a pretty face basically you'll make it it's it's incredible how how much work is behind them well true I think you're absolutely right Catherine it is about dedication and you know especially in the world that I my professional world where I worked you were freelance so un until I had a job with Bourgeois you know I, I was still freelance but I had a contract with them for about six years But, you know, you've got to take those knocks. You you know, you go up for jobs to work with certain magazines or advertising shoots or pop videos or whatever. And um, you don't always get the jobs and you can, you know, you can get really downhearted because you know you could have done a great job. But some some things you just don't get. And and but what I what I also feel with what's happening with modern makeup artists these days is that there's a lot of self-made makeup they call themselves makeup artists. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of people slag me off for this comment I'm about to say. But for me, a makeup artist is someone who's able to make up lots of different faces in lots of different ways. And what I see on Instagram an awful lot is the same make style of makeup, but just slightly tweaked. So it's always the brows. It's always the contour. It's always the lips. It's always a really blank, heavily made up face. And to me, that, that person is more of a makeup enthusiast. They aren't really an artist as such, because as I say, an artist has to be able to adapt and create, be inventive, and understand that every woman's face is different and not every woman can wear the same style of makeup. 
You know, that's so interesting because the, sorry, Sam, but, but I just love the way you describe makeup because it's, it's so easy to dismiss to some extent, you know, like, oh, you just put on makeup because you want to look pretty or, uh, you know, you want to cer- look a certain, fit into a certain um, norm. But it is a very creative profession. And, and as Sam and I, you know, we always talk about the fact that it's the same with skincare, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much love that goes into the products if you're really passionate about it. And I love it. I mean, I see my, my kids, uh, they can, you know, I bought the makeup and they use it as a creative tool. They, they try different looks and they kind of, and I, I love it. I think it's, uh, it's amazing. It's uh, such a nice, um, yeah, a nice creative channel, I think. You know, the interesting thing is that I also toyed with being a graphic designer at, at one point because I kind of liked painting and drawing. But but give me a blank piece of paper and I'm completely terrified. I, I can't... Eat, and, and I see makeup artists do the most amazing face charts. So you, have you ever seen a face chart? It's kind of like an outline of a face and then it's filled in with beautiful eyeshadows and lipsticks. So you get an idea of what the makeup on a person is going to look like. I can't do those. Give me a face that's already 3D and I can put the foundation on and the eyeshadow. I can do a really lovely job. Give me a blank piece of paper. I am completely terrified. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I cannot do it. And it's such a great job being a makeup artist and I still love it as much as I did when I first started as well. It's such a brilliant career. Where do you see the uh, the sort of the trends that you're seeing on Instagram aren't necessarily the trends that the magazines use. Um, there are various trends on various platforms, but but as an industry with with color and application and product, where, where do you see it developing? I, th- I think all brands will have their own direction, so I can't talk about other brands really. Um, but I but I know for myself, I'm always trying to simplify makeup i'm always trying to think of what will make life easier for a makeup wearer will it be a texture will it be the application method will it be the component tree that's kind of what i'm always trying to refine and refine and refine until i get the most fantastic product for me my range isn't about bringing out the next blue eyeshadow. Oh, next season, it's all about purple. So Daniel's going to bring out a purple eyeshadow or a shimmery blusher. That's not what I'm about. I have a really small tight line, um, unlike some brands which have thousands of colors and textures and things. First, I couldn't afford to bring out a line like that anyway. But my own philosophy is that I'm just trying to create the most perfect products that do the job really well and when the wearer, because uh, I can't say when the woman wears it because everybody can wear makeup, man, woman, whatever. Um, when the wearer wears it, they just look and feel fantastic. They're getting value for money and they're looking how they want to look in super quick time. So that for me, and what I find restricts me, Sam, from leaping ahead and refining as fast as I'd like is I don't find that the science has, and I was speaking to Katerina about this a couple, a few weeks ago. I was saying the scientists as yet aren't there with where I want to go with formulas and products and, and finish. You know, it's not quite there yet, but I've got all these lo- lovely ideas. See, this is where we come in, Sam. We have to help Daniel. <laughs> what I feel as well is, I mean, you guys come into things from a, a, a very different angle because you, what you do, um, well, you especially, Katerina, with your skincare line, you have to affect skin 
in a positive way. Me, my products just have to make people look pretty and last all day. Mine is completely superficial. Mine's on the surface. My product will make you look the best you can look. But I, and I don't want to promise any more than that. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And I mean, I, I think you're, you're totally right there, Daniel. I think if you don't, if you just look at the beauty industry, I think many people think that, well, a foundation, it must be the same as a, as a moisturizer. And yes, to some extent it is because it's, it's obviously they have very common, uh, the base is common. But on the other hand, just, just to get the color right in the foundation, it's extremely tricky and I would, you know, if some, to be honest, if someone would ask me, oh, can you make the, these um, amazing foundations for me? I would kind of hesitate because it's A is to get the color right, but it's also start, suddenly you have the, uh, the color pigment and it starts behaving totally different. So uh, it, it is, it's, it's within, within the same umbrella, but it is definitely different, um, different silos, if you will, that needs to work together also, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what size batches you work in, Katerina, but I know that once I've created samples in the lab, and of course, when you sign off on that sample pre the bulk production, there's that tolerance, is there, isn't there, of 5 or 10% either way that the product will look and feel slightly different, yeah. either 5% more or 5% less. And I often find that what you actually sign off, it generally, once it's made in bigger bulk, there is that there is that difference. Yeah. And especially with foundations that have to be so right, you can't have too much yellow or too much orange because then they just look like weird colours. Foundations, particularly in concealers, are really difficult to uh, to get right. So that's why I'm mainly sticking with blushes. <laughs> yeah, no, but it is. I mean, that's uh, just in the manufacturing. It's a that's a whole science in itself to scale up from a lab lab batch to uh to a big big bulk i mean uh, i've studied many courses on this subject <laughs> in chemical engineering i mean there's a whole universe where you calculate all kinds of things and and it is it's it's a totally different um method so yeah no definitely definitely i mean sam with your line again i just love how the simplicity of your line is is so wonderful and that's what attracts me to to your line which again i think which is what we have to deliver to customers is the simplicity and not make things more complicated because we all know this that once we start start talking about science and all that it kind of, you know a lot of our that we might find it sexy but other people don't find that sexy <laughs> what do you mean daniel i don't understand <laughs> People glaze over, you know, when I start talking about the science, not that, again, not that I'm fully qualified at science. In fact, I was rubbish at sciences at school. But because I've got an interest in cosmetics, something's kind of clicked in my brain now and I kind of get it. Um, but when I start talking to other people, start talking to other people or customers about the science and this and that, it kind of, they don't really want to know that. They just want to know what's it going to do? And will I look better and how much is it? And okay, I'll have one then. Yeah, that's exactly my experience as well. There's a, there's a constant appetite from beauty editors, magazines, content creators for the new. What's next? What's next? Well, we know that that's just marketing people doing their work, don't we? We know that it's marketing people who are just hashing out the same stuff, but giving it a new twist with a new buzzword. When in fact, you know, once the new science comes out, and I'm I'm really interested in, in the in 
the idea that in a few years time, if not sooner, depending on who's got the money um, to, to buy the stuff, you know, we are going to see skincare that really makes a difference due to it being compatible with your own DNA. I think that sort of thing is absolutely fantastic. And it sounds so space age, but you know it's going to work because it's it works with your own genetic makeup. Well, that Katerina has to come in now because she does bespoke personalized skincare. Yeah, you know, I I thought I think I think there is something to it um, with the DNA. I mean, I mean, where I come from, bespoke and personalized, it's it's very much again going back to the ritual and the sense and the the feel. I mean, obviously there are some ingredients that differ, but most people don't really care about which ingredients are in the products, to be honest, as we just discussed. But I'm thinking with the DNA. Will it really make that big a difference? You know, if you have on a skincare or a moisturizer or or, or whatever, you have say, you know, one person gets zero point seven percent hyaluronic acid, and the other person gets one percent hyaluronic acid. I don't know, you know, but will that really make a di- like a massive difference to your skin? I don't know. I, I I like the idea. I think it is super interesting. Um, and also the AI and everything that, that has to do with that area. But I'm, I'm not sure if it will make a massive difference in the end. But it sounds like it should, doesn't it? It sounds Yeah, it does. Exactly. If it's based on your own, if you're buying a product that is based on your own physiology and your own, your own makeup, your own natural, your own DNA strain or whatever. Yeah. I think it, it's like, it should work for you. It should regenerate those cells. It should, you know, it's almost like stem cell. If you had your own stem cells taken out and frozen and then put into a moisturizer when you really needed that moisturizer to do a really good job, maybe you, you know. And I think probably where we're going to see this work, this is just completely off the top of my head, is possibly people who've been burns victims or in a crash or got serious scars where yeah. they take the stem cell from that person and they somehow mix it with hyaluronic acid or vitamin C and it's injected into the cellular level where actually, wow, you will see less scarring, you know, some something that can be done from when someone's really young, that you, they their own DNA is extracted and mixed with something and then, you know, you've got this amazing lotion. And one of those medical creams and things are become everyday and available on the high street i i just i mean it sounds maybe it sounds too incredible but i kind of think that to me that makes sort of sense that skincare should go that way i think you're right i mean what you're describing and i think that's a very interesting um area but if you're talking about say you 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 know you've been in a car accident you have scarring or or so on uh, and injections i mean that is on the pharmaceutical side of things i would say uh and i'm not saying it's not but i i see that there this is where the the line really between pharmaceuticals and cosmetics will will uh you know come in play because obviously if you you're talking about injecting there there are treatments uh or you know it might be even future treatments that work really really well but that should probably be on the pharmaceutical side i i think yeah no you're absolutely right. There will need to be a, a, a proper practitioner to do that. And maybe a little bit like the very fine derma roller that doesn't need to penetrate the skin so deeply, but one that just goes below the surface of the epidermis, maybe that will be enough of a delivery 
system that will make the difference. I always find this sort of thing fascinating. It's very sci-fi and futuristic, but I love looking forward to the idea of what could be because without without people who have ideas, we wouldn't we wouldn't find anything new and exciting, would we? Everybody would just copy everybody. And what we, I hate doing is copying anybody. And I think that that is actually a point. I read this. I think it was actually um, our other guest on the pod, Perry Romanowski, who tweeted this uh, a week ago or so. But just that point that there is actually very little innovation in the beauty industry because it, there's innovation on the on the marketing side in the stories and the branding and so on. But when it comes to the actual technology it's very much the same i mean of course you can have different ingredients and you can have but but there is very little yeah futuristic innovation as we're talking about now so Did, i can't remember where i read it, it it was one of the online trade newspapers um that was sort of and it said that what we're going to see in the next few years are perfumes that and i hate the phrase anti-aging so but that's what so I'm only quoting what I read. That's not a term I enjoy using, anti-aging. But perfumes that have anti-aging qualities to it. So if you spritz a little bit of perfume on your chest or your neck or whatever, the perfume sits on the surface of the skin, plus there will be ingredients in there to feed your skin. And I don't think there's ever been that crossover between skincare and perfume. It will That will be very, very interesting to see if that, what kind of effect that has on that's really interesting you've said that because i i did a product uh, a couple of about a year and a half ago um using a as an eau de toilette with with other ingredients in it um with a moisturizer in it i couldn't uh make it work for me but i think that's uh that's another way to go for sure crossover as a product so did you get what why did you stop that was was again was it the the science or it just something just wasn't working why did you end that project it was the it, it was fragrance compatibility the ingredients i wanted to use within the the fragrance it just didn't smell right when it came out of the uh, bottle what's what's the most both of you tell me what is the most amount of tries that you've put into a product. So what I mean is, you've you've worked in the lab, Katerina. You 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 you've been in your lab. How many times do you have to work that sample till you get it right? I know you, every product's different. But what's the most you've ever worked on on to get a product right? I'm trying to think. Around twenty times. I did like twenty versions uh, this spring. It's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, that's a lot. And Sam, how about you. Uh, I think the deodorant was the hardest one um, b- because of the, the the tweaking of the active and the ingredients. And I think that went back about nine times. What about you, Daniel? Um, it, it varies. Sometimes I can be incredibly surprised that I get it in, in the second or third batch. Again, mine is really, I've got my basic formula, right? For me, I just tweak the colours I either add a bit more pink or a bit more peach or a little bit more shimmer or I knock back the shimmer. So for me, it's fairly straightforward, but I'm working on different primers now um, and to help certain kind of skin conditions. And that for me is really, I think I'm on like one of yours, Katarina, I'm up to about 20, you know, different um, submissions 
from the lab and I'm sure they're getting really, really pissed off with me. I'm sure my bill is mounting and mounting. Um, and I think they're losing the will to live because I'm being really fussy with this. But you have to get it right, don't you? Yeah, you do. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'd expect yours to be much higher, actually, Daniel, because I know you've got your, your basic formulation. But of course, unlike Katarina and I, you have the added complexities of, you know, the pearlescence, the, the color, the, the, that side of it, which, which is so subtle and so nuanced that, um, that, that I would expect it to be so difficult. I'm, I'm really glad I'm not in color cosmetics. I, I, I fail miserably. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, I, I'd always help you out, Sam. <laughs> Daniel, can I ask you another question? What, this is another thing that Sam and I has been talking about. Uh, you know this trend you see now, all the influencers on social media that creates their own, and it, it's actually more cosmetics than skincare. I think you know you have the the Kylie Jenner and all 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 the other uh, influencers that are following her that are creating their own cosmetic brands. What what do you think about that? And what do you see? Is this something that will develop even more, or will it disappear in a few years? Or what's your what's your take on it? You know, people like Kylie Jenner uh, and Kim Kardashian, they're they're for the here and now. I don't think there's much longevity in in what they do. So they make as much money as they can in a very short short amount of time, and they string it up for as long as they can. I think they were just very lucky again it's luck that they were marketed really well that they were they were given the most amazing exposure and that that they relate to the kids who want to look like them and have their lifestyle so I think as those their fans their followers grow up and get a little older and, and those older fans will probably want to will steer away from having to have the latest lip gloss or having to have the latest implants in their bums or whatever to look like whoever. So I, I think that, that there will always be influences who come and go, um, and there's a market for everybody. I never feel threatened by that Kylie Jenner's got her own lipsticks out and someone else has got their own blushes. Good luck to absolutely everybody. There's room in this whole world for as many brands as possible. Um, some will stay a long time and might be around for another however many years, like Estee Lauder has been going forever and ever and ever. Um, but other brands will come and go due to the trends of the time, you know, and they'll fade out and uh, because they can only, people will get bored and they'll go on to the next thing. So, because those, those kind of influences... That is very much a trend. What what I always find interesting as a brand owner is that when I talk to customers, they say to me that my brand is one of the only brands that sticks with them, whatever their age. Whereas some brands get very focused on that they've got to market their brand to teenagers or women in their 20s and 30s. And either side of that, the brand doesn't talk to women. And of course, women who buy buy so buy into certain brands in their teens, as they get older, that same brand isn't really talking to them anymore. It isn't selling to them anymore. So I, I think that you have to, as, to be a successful brand as well. I think, and, and I love customer loyalty and I love interacting with customers on Instagram and Twitter or whatever. 
And I just really, really love that they're able to talk to me and I will be there for them, whether they're 16 or 65, you know, advising them and encouraging people and uh, trying to be as helpful as possible. I think that's really important because when you bring out a product, you don't bring it out for yourself, do you? You bring it out because you want people to be able to feel fantastic about themselves, be very thankful and be very humble that, that you know, you've got your customers and, and it, I think it would be really bad if any of my customers ever sort of felt that they were being neglected or that the brand wasn't right for them anymore. I'd feel like I'd let them down. Do you know, I think that that attitude, I think that in a very subtle way, you kind of feel that in a brand. I mean, you feel that with you and, you know, the way you talk and, and look at your brand and your product. And I, going back to the simplicity, I think if you if you really put love and passion into something uh, and, and really care about it, and I have to say that goes for you, Sam, as well. I think you can stick with a smaller line and stick to that because and then you don't need to have all the trends and follow the, you know, almost like the, the, the fashion industry where you have to like have a new skirt every six weeks or so um that that if you create something really good that is um sustainable over time i think it's uh yeah i like that business model much more than just following trends i think as a customer it must be exhausting if you are the type of person who's always got to have the latest thing i mean i remember when i was a teenager i had to have whatever was trendy at the time i had to have the haircut the jacket the boots whatever the eyeliner but nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm 53 now. I can't be asked with all that anymore. And I, and I, and I think kind of as I've gotten older, I think I've, I'm just looking at things in a much better perspective as well. And I can relate to a lot more people because when you're young, you sort of live in your own bubble, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't live outside your bubble. You don't really experience things outside your, your own little circle. Um, but I think definitely as you get older, you, you look at things differently. And again, as you get older, I think you just want less clutter in your own life. And then I think, well, if I want less clutter and more simple things in my life, I'm sure there's a lot more that I can help customers with to declutter and simplify their choices. Because life's too short to have too many complications. Yeah, that's true. Without, without sounding too deep, I'm not going to get... <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> The less a woman has in her makeup bag, I think the better. A few, a few choice items rather than four different brands with the same sort of beige lipstick, which I know a lot of women do. When I, when I give lessons to ladies who've maybe not changed their makeup since the 60s or the 70s, they'll empty up their makeup bag and I will see four beige lip liner pencils, a dodgy blue that they were told to wear 20 years ago and they feel that well I was told to wear that so I should wear it so I say no you've got chocolate away darling <laughs> they've just got the same kind of pink lipstick and it's so nice to be able to show them what new makeup formulas can do yeah new colors and textures can do and get them playing with new formulas get them applying I don't care if it's fingers brushes or a sponge just get it on and make it work for you and let's make you look fantastic and that is you know, really, it's, it's a great thing to do. And, you know, there's such a um, thing about equality here. I've had this discussion with, with some of, of people about, about the fact that the beauty industry, I mean, I love the beauty industry in many ways, but but just the fact that it, it's so focused on correcting women and just really like you as a woman have to look in a certain way and you have to spend money 
a lot of money on looking this way. And that's a message I, I despise. And, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's makeup could be joyful and it could make you feel good. And it could be a, a lot of benefits, uh, uh, for you as a person. And that's what you should wear it. And I, I, that's what you're saying also, like, you don't have to spend a fortune on all kinds of shades and, um, foundations and lipsticks and so on. You just need a few and that, that suits you and, and off you go, you know, it's, and you do it for you. You don't do it for anyone else. Like you don't put up makeup because you know, someone told you, to, you know, you know what the problem is, of course, Katarina, what? women love buying palettes. Yeah. Women buy into packaging with beautiful colored, you know, yeah. 20 different shadows. <laughs> no, they're not going to use 20, but they're going to use two or three, but women love how beautiful they look. A limited edition palette yeah. from whoever, you, the, women have got to buy it that's so interesting isn't it yeah. because even though i'm saying no simplify this you don't need that you don't need that look look how much more space you've got in your handbag now yeah they it's like no they've got oh they, they go space nk because they've seen this new laura mercier palette well i just loved all these colors you know wow. so it's like okay so so there's personal choice and of course buy things that you love you know yeah. if you've got the money fantastic makes you feel great that's absolutely amazing. But at the same time, if you can just r refine and not overcomplicate things, you, you'll have more time to do other things in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to quote a friend of mine, she said, and you have more money to buy books <laughs> and educate yourself. But on the other hand, if you love makeup and you, if you enjoy playing around with it every day and that's your style, you know, I just say congratulations and go for it. You know, it's like, it's not... Um, wrong either if you enjoy it and you do it for the right reasons i think it's just oh so true my my worst customer is a lazy customer mm. it's the customer who won't go out and buy a lipstick because ah. i think do you know what's interesting as well i do meet an awful lot of women of a certain age probably in their 60s and 70s who feel quite guilty about wearing makeup because um I, it may be just an english thing but when they were younger if they wore a little bit too much makeup um, the parents would tell them to take it off because they look tarty and cheap and all that kind of thing. So when I introduced makeup to women who are older, who never would think about filling in their brows or wearing a little bit of lipstick unless they were going to a party, just showing them how nice, how brighter their teeth can look, yeah. how their eyes look brighter with just a bit of blush on their cheeks. Um, it's it's that those simple things that suddenly... They're like, they're like, as if it's Christmas Day. And it's like, it's a revelation yeah. that they can now wear makeup and they don't feel tarty and they don't have to feel guilty about looking pretty and feminine, you know? Well, that sort of sums up brilliantly how different brands um, uh, interact with their consumer because you don't come into this industry uh, well, we don't come into this industry purely from a business perspective. It's about trying to make a change and doing the things that we believe in and uh, enjoying it. Uh, and it's not about just building a business uh, for, for the money, I suppose. Uh, it's about genuinely believing in something and doing 
doing your utmost to to make that happen. And it is, as you say, Dan, it's all about the consumer. It's all about your customer who's using your product. Yeah, well, I think like, you know, the three of us, it's our money, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm not owned by L'Oreal or Estee Lauder. It's me and my sister who run my brand and uh, it, it's our money. So, you know, we, um, we're very careful with how we spend it and we, we absolutely can't compete with other big brands who, who have, you know, global kind of amounts of money that they can dip into. You know, it's, it's incredible how many millions and millions are spent every year. We, I'm sure we don't really know how much, but it's got to be millions that L'Oreal spends. We just can't compete on those levels. Oh, for sure. That's how it is. That's how it is. I wouldn't have it any other way. Me neither, to be honest. Well, it, it kind of everybody's path in life is different. You know, people say to me, what worked for you and I can tell them I can share my story but every every person's story is unique isn't it and you just got to stick to what you believe in and uh, don't give up we have talked about many aspects of the industry we heard how you started Daniel which is really interesting actually because as we all know it's all about the work it's all about the work if you've got a passion for something and you want to get involved uh, just set your sights on it and and work hard create your own luck luck will come and i think that's a, a really good message to send out yeah exactly and that's that's the only thing i hear from everyone who's who's succeeded and it's just hard work and never give up you know it's that is the, the one common thing and things will go wrong and then you have to just uh pick up the pieces and move on you know i, I tell you i've so enjoyed chatting to you both because obviously I met you both. Sam, I met you first on Twitter um, because I'm just always reading your fantastic tweets. And it was so nice when you started messaging me and then we all met up, you know, with Katarina a few weeks ago. You guys do the most amazing job together. And, and for me now to be part of your story and your podcast is I'm really, really just so thrilled. I can't tell you. And we are so happy that you joined. Super happy, Daniel. It was uh, really interesting to listen to your journey. Thank you. And we'll all see each other soon, hopefully. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Have a lovely weekend, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.